welcome to another episode of the Making Shift Happen podcast, the podcast all about making work more human. My name is Jay Chopra and I am the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Making Shift Happen, the company that increases performance through making work more human. And our specific focuses are on things like leadership development, intentional leadership, innovation, culture change and inclusion. And today I am joined by my colleague Anne Maller, who is the Make and Shift Happen Academy lead, and she's also a consultant with Make and Shift Happen. She has been behind the laptop as a producer, but from now on, myself and Anne will be running the podcast together. So delighted to have you on board, Anne. Thank you very much, Jay, and thanks for the kind introduction. And it is my pleasure today to introduce this episode's guest, who's Owen Fitzpatrick. Owen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. Owen is a globetrotting speaker, international best-selling author, and social psychologist, and has spoken to audiences in over 30 countries. Originally from Dublin, Ireland, he has worked with Fortune 100 companies and Olympic athletes, and written eight books that are translated into more than 20 languages by now. And his TED Talk on mind control on YouTube has a whopping 1.35 million views to date. Owen, we are delighted to have you. And today, Jay and I want to chat with you about the importance of communication in hybrid work environments and hopefully give you listeners some tangible tips on how you can improve communication practices in your hybrid team. Thanks so much, Anne. And it's great to be here with you and Jay. Uh, obviously, myself and Jay, I know Jay for many years now. We work together lots and uh, real pleasure to, to be on this podcast today talking about what I think is a very important topic. Brilliant. Fantastic. And the first question we have for you, Owen, in the space of um, hybrid communication is what has changed from a communication perspective for organizations since since the start of COVID, really? Well, obviously, Jay, I think one of the things that we fa we've been facing in the last 18 months is a massive amount of uncertainty. And it's not just uncertainty in terms of around COVID or lockdowns or whatnot. It's also uncertainty around what's the best way for us to work in the new world. And the new world initially was the new world without you know, in-person communication. Now it's coming back to a sort of a hybrid workplace. And there's a lot of questions around what's the optimal way to be able to make this happen, make this work. A lot of people have ideas. And there's a, been a lot of study and a lot of research out there, which gives us some indication, some insights as to what the best way of working is. But the main changes that have happened, I sort of like to look at it through a lens that I call a difference between informational relationships and conversation relationships. So before we transformed into the COVID world, let's just say, we had very much a conversation relationship. You'd meet people, you'd talk to them, you'd interact with them, you'd read body language by them. You know, we were very much, we built relationship through the conversations we have, even the conversations we have in terms of meetings. Now, all of a sudden, we found ourselves propelled into a new world, which was online, where we digitally were communicating with other people. And as such, we were communicating in a very, very different way than normal because there was a lot less conversations happening. And it was much more about information that we were passing to other people. You know, both synchronous and asynchronous way of communicating means that we're relying more on the actual information. So in other words, when people got onto Zoom calls or Skype calls or Teams calls, they got straight to the point. It was like, okay, so here's what we're talking about. There was no more of this, how are you doing? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. All the important elements of conversation relationships, which actually brings that relational quality, that sense of trust, that sense of unity, that sense of connection with your fellow team members. 
And so what mainly changed, I think, is a lot of times there was a lot less relationship building. There was more to the point, all about the information meetings um, in the various sort of um, web tools that we have to communicate with each other. And now as we're moving back to the hybrid world, to a degree, we're going to have to relearn or at least repractice the art of conversation relationships. We have to get into the habit of being there and a person not immediately, you know, getting straight to the point, being able to recognize the social, uh, the social um, lubrication the, uh, that's necessary in forming good relationships, which really happens as a result of those conversations that we have that are natural, the, as they call it, the water cooler conversations. And so to me, um, the moving back to hybrid means that our communication is going to have to take the best bits from what we've learned over the last 18 months, as well as the best bits of what we did before, and maybe trim all the, the aspects of our communication in both modes that weren't serving us in the best possible way. I think that's really interesting and you focus very much on, you know, the best bits of the remote communication uh, that we carry over into the hybrid communication. But before we get into what these best bits are, can we pause for a second and maybe talk about the risks that come with or the difficulties that we had in remote communication? Um, what you just said about the ways we communicate change. And I think we've all experienced kind of these risks and the negative sides in the last 18 months. And what are these risks and how can we mitigate them now that we're moving from a remote work environment into a hybrid work environment? That's a great question, Anne. So first and foremost, the, the, there's a, the risks of uh, remote communication, and then there's the risk of, of hybrid communication. And there are two different risks. So the risks of remote communication is something like, for example, burnout. Um, as a result of our ability to be able to have back-to-back -back meetings, it means that we're a lot of people are experiencing Zoom fatigue. And Zoom fatigue happens for a number of reasons. Number one, technology. We're constantly in front of a laptop or a screen. And normally, our, you know we're watching TV or on our phones anyway. So it means for the majority of the day, we're in front of a screen, whereas in the old school way of working, we were up and about and meeting real human beings. So technology exhausts us. Being on screen and noticing that we have a picture of ourselves or a video of ourselves on screen at all times, uh, our awareness that we're being watched is also something that exhausts us. Because again, when you're in a meeting, you're not as aware that people can see you at all times, right? Especially when you're just a passive participant in the meeting. But when your face is on camera, when you're being recorded, that requires a, that, that causes quite a lot more stress. And then the other one is the fact that um, you can have back to back meetings, right? So you finish one meeting, you can immediately go into the next. There's no such thing as moving from room to room or, you know, moving off site for a meeting. You're going back to back meetings, which is exhausting. And, and therefore, there's a lot of risk of burnout. Plus, then there's the added uh, challenges that come about of, well, because we don't commute, that gives us more time, but then people felt guilt and are more likely to, to overwork because they're trying to show that they're working. But really, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the, the, for businesses in particular, the biggest challenge we face is the challenge around trust. Because trust comes from those everyday conversations. It comes from us um, unconsciously um, observing the way people work, the way people are, the way people move. And so we build trust um, naturally in the conversations we have, uh, what we talked about earlier, the conversation relationships. The problem is we no longer have that uh, when we're working remotely fully. Uh, and now we're forced into a situation that we have to, in our head, 
come up with narratives to describe whether or not a person is, you know, trustworthy. Um, and that can be quite challenging. And so the, you know, the risks that we have in terms of virtual would, would mainly be those elements. Now, when we go back hybrid, there's one other thing that we need to be aware of, as well as the risks that might come with regards to the, the virtual stuff that we just talked about. And that is, as we return to the office, not everyone's going to be uh, remote, not everyone's going to be in the office. And so they have, for example, a concept in psychology called proximity bias, which means that we tend to overvalue people that work closer to us. And what that means is, is that we're more likely to give the benefit of the doubt and more likely to give promotions to and more likely to treat better people who are in the office than people who are working remotely, which is problematic, obviously. And so what we need to do is we need to recognize that that is a big challenge that we need to overcome. So if we're to overcome that, we need to overcompensate. Um, some of the ideas or research suggests that we need to spend 20, leaders need to spend 20% more time with people that report to them in, uh, virtually than in person. Because again, to compensate relationship, you know, from a relationship point of view with people that, that work for them. So it is, it is very important to recognize that the risk of hybrid is that you bring back a group and people feel resentful. Maybe people in the office feel resentful because they have to go into the office because maybe the nature of their work or because they were the, the, the positions they have. Um, and maybe people at home feel more isolated because of this proximity bias. They feel, oh, well, maybe we're not being valued or they get into their heads. I don't know what's going on in the office. And so it's critical that we deal with these and we find ways to be able to mitigate the risks. And so just to give you an idea of some ways to be able to do this, right, which, which might help. First of all, in terms of the hybrid, to mitigate the risk of that, one of the most important things is to lean into involving people who work remotely as much as possible and putting them into teams as uh, where, wherever as possible, putting them into teams with people that are working in the office so that you create this sort of unified shared experience between people who are working remotely and people in the office. You want to avoid ever having an us versus them. You want to avoid ever having a we as in we remote workers or we in the office. And you want to create a sort of a collaborative set of relationships between people so that they feel that they're part of the same company moving towards the same purpose, regardless of where they work from. And the other thing you want to do is you want to make sure that the expectations are crystal clear um, and everyone's very clear of exactly how this should work, exactly what's expected of them, exactly what's not expected of them, everything like um, when am I going to get back to you if you send me an email, right? When, when, when is it okay uh, for me to take a phone call from you? And when am I switching off? When am I finished work? All of those things are things we need to talk about and, and being very transparent about the decisions that you're making, demonstrating why the decisions you made are the decisions you made. So that gives a sense of fairness to the people who are watching. And then just one other thing in terms of the initial challenges for remote workers. So uh, specifically dealing with those challenges in terms of burnout, a lot of it comes down to helping them to be clear of their own rules for themselves. In other words, um, what are the rules they set up for themselves? When are they going to start work? When are they going to finish work? Um, and making sure that they're, they're, they're feeling all the way through um, that they're being involved, that they're being in, involved in conversations that make them feel part of whatever is going on in the office creating that sort of atmosphere. Um, because once you do that, you're going to reduce the level of stress or uncertainty that they're experiencing whenever they face the challenges that they face. Sorry, that was a, a long answer, but I'm hoping I, 
I covered off most of what you asked. Yeah, I think I think we'd like to get into a bit more detail on on specifics of day to day communication in a in a hybrid world, though. And so it'd be, it'd be great to get your insights around, you know, what information do you think are, you know, going forward would be best discussed virtually or in person. So, like, is there certain content that must be done face to face, for example, uh, like a brainstorm, and then. Are there things that are okay to happen online? So it'd be good to get insight of, of, in terms of the rules of engagement there, what happens where? Sure, that, that, I mean, that's a great question, Jay. I think, I think what's important um, about the kind of conversation that you have, let's say the synchronous conversation you have, and that could be in person, but it could also be live in terms of a Zoom call, for example, right? Um, and then there's the asynchronous communication forms, which is more, you know, I, I say one thing and then you get it later and then you get back to me. Um, there's different elements of work that works best in each. So let's let's have a look at it and let's understand not just what, but also why that is so. So if we look at the synchronous form of communication, that's the me, that's the me talking to you two right now and the three of us are having a conversation. What's beneficial about this is the, the interaction and the immediacy of the feedback. So if I'm looking to be able to con uh, converse with you about something that I'm looking for answers right away, then this is the best form of communication. And whether this is ideal, like in person or one step removed on camera or two steps removed in terms of audio, or even if it's instant messenger back and forth, the benefit, one of the benefits is that it allows me to be able to get immediate feedback from you. So I'm able to understand the answers to questions that I have that I really need to understand. Um, second of all, it allows us to be able to interact better. So to your point, Jay, you know, whiteboard working, being able to work on a whiteboard. So we explore, we throw ideas out, we create together, we, you know, listen to each other, we provoke each other, we inspire each other. We, in other words, um, benefit from our relationship together um, and the impact that we have on each other so that we can use that to be able to then focus our attention on um, channeling that into new ideas, new ways of thinking, uh, new solutions to, to, to problems that we're facing. And then there's also the important aspect of the emotional side of things, right? So you always want, in terms of the emotional conversations you have, almost always you want the conversations that you have in person to deal with the emotional challenges, right? So this is about building relationships. The best way to build relationships is in person. Um, and if not in person, then on Zoom like this, best way to build relationships and not through something, you know, that where you email them and then they email you back after a few hours and then you email, you want to be able to do it in the moment. And, and that's partly because the more information you have in terms of that feedback we talked about from a body language point of view, from a facial expression point of view, from a, a tone of voice point of view, the more feedback you have from a person, the more you get a sense for them. And the more of a sense that you get for them, the more you understand them, the more you understand them, the more connected you feel to them and the easier it is to build rapport with them. And so we need from a relationship point of view, from an emotional point of view, delivering important pieces of feedback, for example, um, being able to uh, understand what's going on in terms of the uh, political side of things, in terms of the stakeholders, their expectations, all of that is best done in terms of in a synchronous way whether that's ideally in person, because you got more access to more feedback um, and you can express yourself better uh, or Zoom calls or you know Teams calls, Skype calls, whatever, if you're forced into that situation. Now for asynchronous forms of communication, that's you know anything like Slack or email communication threads, right? Or anything like that, um, or you know a project management uh, tool like Asana or Trello or any of those great tools. 
Um, for any of that sort of stuff, that's much better for information that needs to be remembered, right? So information, facts, figures, statistics, information that you want everyone to have access to um, and you want them to have access to going forward. Anything that you want to put into print, what you want to be able to lock in, it, it, it allows you to promote flexibility because it means people get an opportunity to be able to um, get to it whenever they have time, whenever they've got the mental space. Right? When you're in a synchronous, synchronous form of communication and you're talking, you're, you might not always necessarily be in the right mode to be able to answer certain questions or in the creative mode. But if you get time to think about something, uh, then it gives you the flexibility to then work on it and start to think through it and to, to be able to then formulate some um, really useful ways of doing things. Also gives a, a person a sense of more control over the information. So when it comes to information, asynchronous tends to be pretty good when it comes to relationships synchronous tends to be you know really important and really good as well and i think if you're if you're aware of that then you can start to dictate in you know your let's say communication playbook which aspects or and kinds of conversations you're going to have in person or on zoom versus which ones you're going to have you know via an email exchange because again so certain times if you're just communicating via information and the relationship is not important and feedback's not important you're just giving them information well let them read it on their own time right but if you're relying on their feedback you're relying on their responses then it's important to be able to build a structure whereby you provide yourself with these opportunities to be able to get that experience get those conversations happening um when you need them to as well so uh, I hope, does that answer your question, Jay? Yeah, no, it's perfect. It does, Owen, it does. And like just listening to you and sort of reflecting it back and trying to summarize it and bring it together, I guess what you're saying broadly is that things that are more factual and process-driven, uh, you know, are, are more sort of akin to online um, communication. But things that are more emotional, like you give an example of feedback or building relationships and things like that are, are almost better done in person, as you were saying. So... So the, the question I had in my mind then was in terms of innovation, right? So I, I totally get what you're saying in terms of process and facts and figures and in terms of in terms of like the people stuff being in person, of course, to build trust. From an innovation perspective, would you be thinking more face-to-face -face has more, there's more value in the face-to-face -face, uh, time and, and FaceTime, if you like, real FaceTime in person for innovation? Or could you do a mixture of online and in person or, or virtual? What What's best from an innovation perspective, if you want to... Get the creative sparks going, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think it's it's primarily going to be synchronous, but there is advantages to asynchronous. For example, uh, one of the benefits to synchronous forms of communication is the exact thing we talked about. You know, me, uh, you know, the three of us, uh, myself, uh, yourself, Jay, and the three of us decide we're going to come up with a new product. So the three of us sit down uh, in a room together and we brainstorm and we talk and we throw out ideas and blah, 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 blah. And we put it down on the whiteboard and we throw it and it's all great. The problem is all of us might not work from a creative point of view in the same way, right? So for example, I might need some time to really ponder and think and my genius ideas or my brilliant ideas might take a while to come. So I'm there watching you and Anne and the two of you are you know, naturally gonna throw ideas back and I'm going, and that's not necessarily good. So sometimes the asynchronous way of doing things, giving people something for them to take some time to be able to go, okay, and then to come up with a thoughtful idea or, you know, to provoke them into thinking about something outside the box that they haven't, you know, taught it before. Sometimes that 
is, uh, is, is a more viable or more useful way to go. So I, I do think overall, you know, synchronous forms of communication from an innovation perspective, but remember also, as, as, as you would say yourself, Jay, like innovation is not a conversation. Innovation is a multitude of different conversations that occur, um, you know, because it's not just the creation of ideas. It's also the, the implementation of those ideas. It's also the winning buy-in on those ideas because, you know, you can create and innovate you know, the, some of the best, I mean, I remember myself and yourself were part of a, a lab where uh, we were talking about, you know, what are the most important elements? And we were with some of the top organizations in the world there. And the question that was asked was about innovation. What allows an organization to be at, at its most innovative? And one of the most important factors wasn't just how great the ideas are. It's also your ability to communicate those ideas to other people. And uh, ideally, you, you would have a synchronous way of doing that because you want immediate feedback so that you can respond and therefore, you know, um, demonstrate why what you've come up with is actually a brilliant idea. But nonetheless, there's certain, certain situations where you just don't have that opportunity. Therefore, your asynchronous ability to communicate that insight, that idea, right, that, that innovation needs to be really, really on point really, really good, because that is exactly what will allow you to get to the stakeholders that can't be sitting in front of you in that moment. So to me, I always would look at when I'm innovating or when I'm talking to organizations about innovating, how can you make it so that you master the art of synchronous collaborative creation, right? As well as asynchronous collaborative creation to give people the time that they need to innovate or you know use their creative thing. But then you also need to be able to communicate it in a very effective way, both in a synchronous way and in an asynchronous way. So you master both approaches and you get the information to the right person, the right time in the right way, regardless of the context or the, the limitations that are imposed on you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I really like that. I really like that. I wasn't expecting that answer on, but that, but I do like it. I think, I think you're dead right because whether we're in the moment ideators or whether we're reflect more reflective thinkers, does have an impact on on the ultimate quality of the innovation that we come up with and i agree with you as well in terms of like you can have a great idea but how do you breathe life into it how do you make it come alive how do you make it real and i do remember those great days back in the uh, incubation lab which uh, it was titled that time uh, increasing creativity and innovation at work by dr edward de bono who since passed away actually on as well and uh, yeah we, we had some good meetings there at those sessions uh, certainly so it's it's interesting because as we're as we're talking and and uh, exploring things a bit a bit further, it's just coming up for me a bit subconsciously, right? That inclusion, right, is and inclusive communications are are even more difficult in in the hybrid world we're moving into. Because like, as you well know, we both know when we when we go into organisations that communication keeps coming up. It's like this magic thing, like communications an issue, communication is an issue, communications an issue. It's almost you can't over communicate. Um, as as a leader, you know, and like there's there's always people always seem to have a, I don't know, people seem to be frustrated with with communication, right? So now in the hybrid world, it's even going to be more challenging. So so like how can we how can leaders develop the habit of being inclusive communicators? Because they always seem to leave someone out for some reason. Well, I I think I think it's a it's a really great question and an important one, and and I think part of the problem, uh, Jay, uh, from my point of view, is the word communication. It's too abstract. <laughs> So everyone knows they have a communication problem, but no one is able to define it because guess what? People's communication problems are different depending on their circumstances or situations. So when we talk about being more inclusive, 
one of the main reasons that we're we're not as effective or many organizations are not effective in terms of inclusive communication is because they're thinking about inclusive communication is informational and so what they do is they're focused on well we need to make sure that we communicate the information to the people who need it and to make everyone feel they've got the information the the part they're missing is the word feel and so being inclusive as a communicator is not about the logical information you give to people it's about making people feel included and so how do you make people feel included and so nowadays uh, there's a great revolution in terms of huge attention put into diversity and inclusivity in the workplace and i know you know you you both are in line with me on this in that this is a great thing and it's 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 you know, it, it should have happened a long time ago, but thank God it's starting to happen. There's a great emphasis. Now, whether or not organizations are doing it for the right reasons is a conversation for another day. Bottom line is everywhere you go, diversity, inclusivity, diversity, at least definitely in corporate America, and I'm sure outside of that as well. This is brilliant. The key, though, is, is that a lot of times people are, again, organizations can be guilty of this, is implement, and it's, it's a start, but it's implementing policies right and i'm going to implement the policy and that policy is going to show oh look we are inclusive and diverse and i'm going to put it on my set of values uh where we we value diversity we value inclusivity there you go now we're good but the reality is that's not enough what we need to do is we need to make people feel included and that means making people feel included regardless of you know um any of the ways uh, in which they are diverse um, uh, right the way through from a gender point of view, from a race point of view, from a cultural point of view, from a geographic point of view, or even in this context, from a remote working point of view. We need to make people feel that they are all part of the team and they're all equally important. And again, the word there is feel. So how do you make a person feel that way? Well, you have to change the way you think about communication and no longer see communication as informational. No longer see communication as, I want you to know this. But instead, think about it, I want you to feel this. And so I believe if an organization wants their people to feel more included, if they're remote versus if they're in the office, they have to start by asking the first question, how do I want my people to feel? How do I want my remote employees to feel? What are the specific feelings, emotions? We gotta get dirty with our emotions there. We gotta go, what are the emotions? And then we have to ask a second question, which is what are the things we can say and we can do, important to do, that will make them feel these feelings on a consistent, and that's another important word, consistent basis while working with us. And if they answer those questions, I believe they'll really make a lot of progress towards making people feel more included. No, I, I love that. I love that, Owen. And it really, basically what you're saying is the answer isn't in our heads like it's in our hearts, effectively. We, we, we always say that the, you know, the, the shortest distance of collaboration is about 18 inches, the distance between our heads and our hearts. And that, that's really what you're saying here. It's not what we conceptualize and put out there from a process or you know, a head perspective. It's really... I love the way you broke that down into how do you want to make them to feel and what can I say and do to help them people feel that way because totally that's what you want to do as a communicator is evoke a feeling in, in, in somebody else right so so like if you were to if you were so for leaders if you were to give them a few tips on how they could do that consistently because they want it like I totally buy into what you're saying and it makes perfect sense and there's a lovely formula there how can they make that a habit i suppose Owen. like how would you make how would you advise leaders to make that a habit well the first thing is they need to value the the, the idea of emotions right a, a lot of times you know people especially in the business world we tend to avoid the word emotions avoid the word feelings right yeah. because we kind of pride ourselves in the logic 
right? I'm logical, I'm rational, I'm reasonable. But the reality is that's completely wrong. I mean, the majority of all decisions are made based on an emotion, whether that's uh, ego, whether that's, uh, you know, feeling based upon the status or how well, we're motivated, we're in, intensely human emotive creatures. And we make so much, all you have to do is look at the area of behavioral economics to see the power of our emotions on our decisions. Mm -hmm. So because of that, if we dismiss it and, and imagine that we are these, you know, uh, economical, uh, rational, reasonable uh, robots that make decisions logically, um, the more we buy into that narrative, the more we're, we're, we're going to always miss the mark. So as leaders, we need to, number one, prioritize this concept of emotions and emotional communication. So that's the first thing we need to talk in terms of how are people feeling? Um, what, what are they going through? What is their experience of whatever is happening? You know, what, what is their experience like of whatever's happening? How are they interpreting things? And we need to check in on a regular basis with them, not just in terms of have they got what they need, but do they feel what they need? Right? Do they feel empowered? They, they feel connected? Is there anything else that they want to know? We have to be able to ask them questions about the questions that they might have for us. And we, we, we must give them the opportunity to feel like they're contributing. And really, when it comes down to it, we must give people a feeling of um, inclusivity by autonomy. So in other words, a lot of the research out there shows that when you want to motivate people, which is one of the things you want more than anything in terms of your workforce, is you want them to feel motivated. But one of the most important factors there is uh, the influence of autonomy, right? So when a person feels a sense of control, a sense of autonomy, a sense of power over what they do, if they feel they're partly creating, if they feel a co-creative element to this, then they're much more likely to feel connected to the rest of the organization and much more likely to buy into and be motivated by the work that they do. And so what we need to do is we need to provide that experience of autonomy for people and, and really ask them to contribute, ask them to come up with ways and ideas about what they think. So again, when you're talking to people to give them the, the, the feeling that they're a part to, to be able to make them feel like they're connected, we need to hear from them, hear their opinions and get them discussing how they can contribute, what new insights they have, what new ideas they have. Because the more you start to get them to feel like they're part of the change that, that you're bringing them through or that they're creating, the more likely they are to feel motivated, inspired, and driven towards doing the best kind of work that they could possibly do. Does that make sense? That makes, it makes total, total sense. But to circle back on, right? There, you, you were talking about, you know, getting into the dirty space of, of emotions, right? So what do leaders, uh, organizational leaders, team leaders, etc., need to let go of? and to be able to welcome in, to get into that dirty emotional space. Why don't we do it naturally? Like, why isn't it as easy as going logical? I, th I think first of all, we're, we're afraid of emotions because they're unpredictable, right? We don't like emotions because they, we, we, we can't get a hold of them, right? We can't tell when someone is feeling a certain way. We like to deny it in the business world. We like to pretend that people don't make decisions emotionally. We like to pretend that, you know, we're all logical and we're communicating. But think about it like this. How many times have people said no to you, even though you knew you'd shown beyond shadow of a doubt your idea was the best? They didn't say no because it, the logic didn't work out. They said no because they didn't feel like they wanted to say yes. Hmm. And so if you want to influence people, uh, one of the most important things you need to do is change the way people feel about your idea. That's going to help them to say yes. What's not going to help them say yes is you trying to, as Adam Grant, the well-known psychologist would say, logic bully them right with all the different facts and figures and information so what we need to let go of 
is this reverence for logic. Not because it's not important, of course it's important, of course it's critical, but we need to let go that it's the only important thing. That's the first thing we need to let go of. The second we need to let go of is this fear of the unpredictable, because it's like uh, me, me being scared of the weather, right? The weather is going to happen regardless, so I need to make sure I deal with it. And emotions are going to ha happen regardless. You can't stick your head in the sand and, and, and will emotions out of the office. They're going to be there. And if you're to be a great leader, you need to be able to recognize them. You need to be able to understand them. You need to be able to listen to them. You need to be able to respond to them. You need to be able to manage them as best you can. And you're not always going to get it right. But sometimes it will involve you making mistakes. So the third thing you need to get rid of or let go of is this need to always have all the answers and be right. We need to exist in this state of vulnerability sometimes where we're okay with the fact that sometimes we're not going to get it right. And sometimes it's going to be a bit awkward. And sometimes it's going to be a bit weird. Because once you're okay with that, once you give yourself permission to dive into this world, it means that you're much more likely to connect more deeply with the people that work with you. You're much more likely to help them feel included and feel a part of the team and feel motivated and feel inspired because they feel like you genuinely care. You genuinely give a shit. You, you really want for them the very, very best. And to me, those are the kinds of things that hold us back because once again, you know, we're, 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 we're dealing with many, many years of this conventional uh, philosophy. A lot of people have had that, you know, feelings bad, logic good. And the only times we ever dealt with feelings was advertisers. And think about how successful advertisers were because they didn't lean into the logic. They leaned into the emotions and that's how they sell the majority of products, right? So to me, those are the kinds of things that we need to recognize no longer service. And when we do, we provide ourselves with being so much more effective as leaders, so much more effective in terms of work, so much more effective in terms of organizations. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Oh, no. Great. Thank you so much for that. And back over to yourself, Anne. Yeah, I would like to know what your opinion is on the communication playbook. So if we think about it in terms of a hybrid team and that hybrid team sits down and comes up with a communication playbook, rules of engagement that have been designed and agreed to by the entire team that then goes off to partly work remotely, partly work on site or in the office. Would you say this is a good way to go about managing communication in a hybrid team? And if yes, if so, what would be the most important parts to or things to include? And yeah, do you have any thoughts on that in general? Well, I think uh, there's yes and no, right? So so and, and, and I'll qualify my answer. So with yes, uh, I think it's really important that the the people that are working, the remote workers and the um, the b people that are working in the office are able to craft or create certain, um, let's say, principles or rules that will work for them. So if they're the creators of it and they agree to it, that's wonderful. The no comes from, we also don't want to create this idea that everyone always works based upon this, let's say, so-called playbook, right? So the, 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 I, the purpose of an effective playbook is it creates consistency or like, like that's the ideal. We have a consistent form. So that's why sales playbook can be great. You give people a set of scripts, they follow it. And it doesn't matter if they're, you know, not great or that it's not going to make a huge difference to their performance. If they have the playbook and they, you know, when they practice, you know, with the, with the scripts and stuff. 
you don't want to overscript communication because that can eliminate the spontaneous uh, need that we have to be able to express yourselves fully. And if you're always figuring out if, if the playbook, let's say, is too specific, then the danger is that we limit ourselves from the more natural form of communication. Um, and therefore, uh, too many rules can be problematic from that perspective. So for me, I think the idea of a playbook that gives basic structural or process-based information. So, you know, especially for onboarding, you know, new people that get a sense, um, a, a playbook that incorporates certain things that give people a sense of the culture of the organization, wonderful. The, the, the thing that I would say is, is that the elements that you need to consider in that are, you know, what are some best practices uh, that that they can learn from as opposed to, you know, this is how we do this, this is how we do that, this is how we do the other. You want to make sure that you're giving them the best practices so that everyone can learn from that and it becomes a learning tool as opposed to a system that they feel obliged to fit into because that can take away from their feeling of autonomy. Even though they've created it, we create a mental distance from what we created in the past to what we're saying at the moment. And we never want people to feel constrained by something um, unless we absolutely need them to be. So um, I would say, you know, uh, best practices. I would say the specific limitations that they have, like, you know, the, the, the setting up the expectations of how long meetings should last, um, that there should be, for example, never, um, you know, a meeting following a meeting unless you've got at least a five, 10 minute break. Those kind of things that provide us with some sort of structure that improves and optimizes performance, something that's informed by behavioral science. Um, those kinds of things are, are something that I would say are important to include as, as part of something like that. Just to jump off of that, I'm just wondering, I'm just, I can just imagine our listeners uh, wanting to implement these things and uh, just really agreeing because uh, I know Jay and myself are sitting here just nodding along going like, yes, this is so relevant. Um, but if you're a listener now and you go, this is all great, I want to implement that. How do I do that in the day to day? So can you recommend, is it maybe a weekly check-in? Um, is it scheduling meetings with your team members? Is it a certain maybe online tool that you can recommend? So there's a few things. First of all, I mean, there's lots of online tools out there, but you know, I'm sure there's a million different people with a million different preferences. There's things like Slack, which is great for, you know, immediate you know, communication with people for asynchronous as well as sometimes even synchronous forms of communication. There's lots out there. But for me, there's a few things. Number one, it's a good idea to provide yourself with opportunities where there's some sort of catch up conversation. Right. And a catch up conversation is not let's catch up on this project, but it's catch up. How are you doing, Jay? How are you doing that? So we literally just check in. I check in with the people that work for me, they report to me. How are they doing, right? How's things going for them remotely? Is there any questions they have, any problem they have? Um, are they going away on holiday or vacation? What, what's happening in their world? Because that is, is what we're missing. Because we're no longer getting the water to cooler conversations, we have to find some way to do it. And, you know, by, by formalizing the process, you might think to yourself, oh, well, God, you know, that's the opposite of what we want to do. But if that's the way that we're creating meetings, then that's the way we're creating meetings. So the first thing I would say is create those informal conversations, those catch up conversations and make them a regular enough thing. The second thing I would say is incorporate this notion of we, right? Robert Cialdini in his, his uh, revised edition of his brilliant book, Influence, talked about the seventh principle of influence. 
and that is the principle of unity. When people feel part of a group and united with others, they're much more likely to be influenced by others and influence others as well. And so what you want to do is create a sense of we, and that means using literally using the pronouns of our and we and us to communicate with colleagues that are remote um, and make sure that when people talk, you know, uh, when, when people are having conversations with their colleagues, that they're using we with those colleagues, as opposed to you and us here at the office. And that's a small thing, but it's a really powerful, really important thing. And then the third thing is to whenever you're putting people together in teams for the hybrid uh, from a hybrid perspective, put people who are remote working with teams of people who are um, in the office. So make it so that you never have teams that are all in the office versus all remote. Make it so that you're mixing up the team so people have that sense that they're all part of a group, all part together, um, working together in, in harmony with each other towards an overall purpose. And then the fourth thing is always remind people of the shared purpose that everyone can agree with, that whether you're uh, remote, whether you're in person, whatever you're doing, it's always towards this end. This is your goal. This is your aim. This is the target of the team. And the team involves all different parties. So those are some specifics, some practical things people can do that I think will help quite a lot. Yeah, interesting. And you touched on onboarding there for a second. And um, onboarding, um, for sure, is one of the main challenges in a hybrid team, right? Um, so in terms of that, um, and onboarding new team members, what do you think is the best way to include new team members in communication, how to introduce them um, to the tools that are available to the entire team, how to introduce them as a person to everyone? What are your recommendations in that regard? Well, first of all, you want asynchronous communication to be able to give them in their own time, all of the sort of the processes that they need to engage in. So you've got all that sort of stuff. You want to save the synchronous forms of communication, right, for their uh, relationship building with people. So you want to give them plenty of time with the other people, you know, getting to know other people, um, getting them to chat, have normal everyday conversations to people that they're working with, um, get them a sense of familiarity there, um, get them to talk personally about themselves a little bit, try to bring them in and make them feel like they're part of the team that way. Uh, but for the process piece, you can leave that to the asynchronous forms of communication so that they have that to go to whenever, you know, at their own disposal, whenever, whenever they have time or whatever they can prioritize time for that. Um, and then you also want to get the people who are working with them to check in with them on a regular basis. You know, it's the onus is on the people, the onus should be on both, but primarily you want the onus on the people who are already in the organization to reach out, to check in with them. How are you doing? Make them feel welcome. Um, and again, to, to give them a sense of the culture uh, that, uh, that, that you're trying to promote in the organization. So if, if I'm onboarding someone, I'll also communicate to the people they'll be working with, making sure those people are regularly reaching out, checking to see how they're doing, you know, all that sort of stuff. And also probably providing them with someone, you know, who becomes a sort of a, you know, informal mentor to them that, you know, helps them through the ropes and, and gives them a sense of uh, how things work. Jay, do you have any follow-up questions or wrap-up questions? I do. So what we're introducing today to our podcast, Owen, is a question we're going to ask everybody at, at the end. Uh, so the question is really, as you know, making shift happen is all about making work more human and increasing performance by making work more human. If you, if you had three tips 
to help make work more human for any organization, what, what would your tips be? Well, number one, if, well, again, I'm just going to preface this really briefly. So when we, when, when I think of human, right, I think of what makes a human a human. And I think of the brain, I think of, you know, to your point, the heart as a metaphorical, uh, you know, term for the feelings that we feel, right? So to me, those are the important elements. But there's a third part, which is our ability to communicate with each other. And so what I would say is to make work more human, number one, you want to be able to focus on the emotions like we talked about earlier. So make, make work more emotive, make work more emotional. And I don't mean that to be everyone's like, oh my goodness, and people reacting, you know, here, there and everywhere. I mean, make it more emotional uh, by valuing emotions more, by recognizing emotions more, by embracing emotions more, and by, you know, working through it. The second thing I would say is prioritize relationships. So spend more time focusing on the, the quality of the relationships that you have, as opposed to the logic, um, you know, that that's uh, the logical way of approaching things. Um, so often what we tend to do is we tend to see people as a means to an end, you know, in terms of getting the work done. And we see the work is separate to the people. But the, the, the work is the people, you know, the, the work doesn't get done without the people. Um, and we need to recognize that uh, in, in the best way possible. And the third thing I would say is the more that we go into using technology, the more we need to balance it with the humans, uh, human side of things. So the more that we use technical tools that make things less human, the more we have to find ways to balance that with a more sense of, of uh, humanity. So for example, um, because we went remote, we were being more technical. And that means we need to now compensate by spending more time, you know, developing relations, building more trust, like that extra 20% we, we, we mentioned earlier, spend more time with people um, in person, you know, or, or even digitally, to compensate for the fact that things are more technical. So again, in a nutshell, number one, make work more emotional. Number two, make work more relational. And number three, compensate and balance. Uh, the more technical you get, the more technology you use, the more humanity you need to use also. And when you think about those three things, I think that can help you to um, to make work more human. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Owen, as always, absolute pleasure to catch up with you. and. Uh, continuously stimulated by your by your insights thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for the the listeners for listening in as well and Owen where can people find out more about you yeah thanks Jay uh, so I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Facebook I'm on Instagram so you can find me I'm on YouTube but also you can just go to ownfitzpatry.com and you'll have access there to all my different social media channels of you'll you'll see I have lots of lots of different ways to to get I also have my podcast as well changing minds uh which which you'll be able to to find and i usually release two episodes a week on that so um lots of ways but a, a big thank you to yourself jay always great chat with you my friend and great to great to chat with you too and i hope i've i've uh, helped uh, provide some insight as to uh, how we can um to your point jay uh, make work more human no fantastic thanks so much owen great having you all the best thank you very much owen This episode of the Making Shift Happen podcast was written and produced by Jay Chopra and Anne Mahler. Find out more information about Making Shift Happen and our producers on LinkedIn under Jay Chopra's profile, the Making Shift Happen profile, or Anne Mahler's profile. If you want to know more about the topics discussed in our episodes or reach out to us, send us a message and check out our article series and posts on LinkedIn to join the conversation.